From Bregman MD, where we're all about psych solutions, I'm your host, Linda Corley, and this is The Breakdown with Dr. B. Well, it's holiday time, and we thought that we should talk about something that many people have trouble with. They struggle around the holidays when they've lost someone, whether it be 10 years ago or last month, and that is grief. Doctor, we have a very special guest today. You want to introduce her? This is a special friend and colleague, Teddy Tarr, Dr. Teddy Tarr. Hi, Teddy. Hi, Dr. Bregman. Uh, Teddy and I known each other. Uh, we started years ago at Miami Children's Hospital. I was a chief of psychiatry. Teddy was a psychologist there. We did a lot of great work and a lot of great work through the years. And I refer to her all the time. So I'm looking forward to this. Thank you for coming, well, Teddy. Oh, no. Thank you for inviting me to join the conversation. Thanks. And uh, for taking care, good care of all my clients. I appreciate that. So, Linda, what do you have in store for us? Well, I just want to tell um, our listeners that Teddy specializes in grief and loss. So the two of you are going to be absolutely perfect in helping anyone listening to this podcast who who are struggling through grief during this holiday season. Um, I want to start by asking you, Teddy, who hasn't gone through grief, right? And I always say that to me, grief, you know, it takes on many forms. Why does it feel like you're jumping in and out of a puddle? Grief comes in waves, doesn't it? And why is that? I think that most people think grief is linear, that you have a funeral. And once the funeral is over, you should be getting better. In actuality, the funeral is you're so much in shock and you haven't really accepted or identified what you have lost, who you have lost and what you've lost. So what happens is the grief is not linear. As you said, it comes in waves. It's like a tsunami. All of a sudden the wave comes in, takes you out. You're trying to swim parallel to the beach. You get back to the beach. You think it's all over and it hits you again. And it can continue to hit you for the rest of your life. It, it just depends on how well you have decided and what you've decided to do with your bereavement. So I want to talk to you about that. What are some of the things? I mean, holidays, you must see more patients than, than average. There must be a lot of dread around the holidays. What, what do you tell people as they, they gear up to the holidays and they are still going through their grief? I think that I tell them what I would tell anyone, whether it's during the holidays or not. When you're doing bereavement and you've lost somebody significant, maybe a 50-year marriage, and it could be a, a three-year relationship, grief is not comparable. You're going to feel your feelings, whatever they are, and however you feel, except that nobody can take your grief away. You have to work through it. I always say you're going to have to surrender to the idea that you are in this and of it and for a long time are going to be dealing with it. And now it's how you're going to deal with it in your mourning period. So I try to prepare them. It's not going away. You can't distract it enough. I try to uh, help them see that isolating yourself and not going to anything rather than limiting the time 
can be a big difference, can be a problem. Yeah, I want to talk about that. And I want to bring Dr. B in. Pathological grief, when you're really stuck in it. Dr. B, I've never heard that expression. What is it? Teddy and I really deal with a lot of this, okay? And this is what happens is if you're stuck in the grief process, somehow it, it didn't like move along. And it's really a mild form of traumatic stress injury. So it is an injury, it could be related to acute stress disorders or even PTSD. And it's a real issue. And what happens when we talk about more pathological is it's unremitting. It, it goes on for at least a year. These are the cases that Teddy refers to me. And, you know, these are out of the norm uh, type of situations of mourning. You know, uh, it's amazing. We used to have uh, very specific definitions of trauma. Today, what we're saying about trauma is it isn't the event. It's the overwhelming of the personality. And that's what you're talking about. And we need medications to help us sleep. We need medications to help us get through. Most people can't afford to stop working. We need medications just to survive it when it gets to be very complicated. What Teddy and I do together is when we have patients and she sees them are overwhelmed and they just can't function and they need a little help, that's when they come to me for this. Dr. Bregman, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most people think they go to you and they come to me and they should get over it. But we can't do their work. We co-journey with them. We give them ideas and, and help, but we cannot do their work. This is a battleground, especially with a complicated morning or a traumatic scenario. It is a battleground and they are going to suffer. And they need to know in the beginning, there's going to be some suffering, but we have medications, we have treatments, therapy helps, and other people help. There are only three things I know of that help bereavement. I'll be honest with you. Active listening, socialization, and compassion. I want to talk about socialization. Um, I had heard this podcast and, the, you know, the fake it till you make it. I mean, you know, you said a lot of us have to work. What does that socialization do? What does getting up, putting a dress on, washing your face, putting makeup on, doing your hair and getting out there, just faking it till you make it. Why is that so important? Why is that curative to, even if you don't want to, getting out there and, and seeing your friends and, and as you said, socializing? You know, that's really interesting what you've asked because I believe in attachment theory. A lot of our socialization comes from how we were brought up as children and whether we had good attachment with our parents. People who isolate themselves and always have and who are in bereavement, I'm not gonna get them back out, but I can get them to possibly listen to music, listen to a podcast. Um, I put some podcasts up also under Teddy Tar on YouTube on bereavement. Sometimes we expect too much out of someone. What we have to do is give them invitations rather than make them feel like they're disappointing us. Can we just come over and spend an hour with you? Can we? Can I just bring lunch today? What would you eat? Would you eat a salad? You know, in other words, not, well, call me if you need me. That is the worst possible thing to say. You know, I really appreciate what Teddy said. And honestly, uh, you know, I have an analytical background. And 
along with what Teddy said about attachment is uh, there are people who maybe unknowing to themselves had ambivalence about that individual that that passed away or is gone or lost. And what I have found and the way I help, because Teddy sees the patients a lot more than me, but when they come for the medication management, I talk about ambivalence about the person lost. And that's really been my focus. And I think, you know, Teddy and I working together, we talk about the attachment because maybe there was something wrong with the original attachment that hasn't been addressed. Excellent, Dr. Bregman. I also feel that we used to call it identification years ago. Today, we don't call it that. Uh, we say that people actually freeze the people at the time of their loss, but then they grow them as if they're still alive. And they think about the weddings and things. And you're right, attachment in the very beginning, you would think that person was a saint that died. And it takes a while for the get in, to get in touch with the shame, the pain, the anger, uh, especially with COVID, I'll bet you're, feeling that way too with, with deaths that have to do with COVID where some other relative put something online for kids to see that this person wasn't vaccinated and caused it themselves. I am, I am absolutely beside myself when people aren't kind. Well, you know, let's talk about that from, a, a, from the angle of not the person grieving, but a friend or a relative. How do you give support? Is there a right way or a wrong way? I think all of us need to identify who can take us to the doctor or hospital. Who is good for coffee? Who is good for phone calls? Who has patience? Who will listen to us grieve forever and never say a word? We have to know who's who in our book of friendships and acquaintances and physicians. We need to know who we can go to about certain things. That's number one, identify. Number two, tell somebody what you need. You know, I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to make me feel better. I just need to, to listen to me. Is that right, Dr. Bregman? Do you feel that way too? Absolutely. You know, I think, Teddy, you and I have a similar style. We're very direct, okay? And the people like it or they don't, okay? People right. who we've done well with, appreciate our style okay and we're both the same way we just say it the way it is that's what helps people just say it straight and i often say well those are all the things you love about that person and those are all the things that person did for you was there anything that annoyed you it's very important that they go all the way to the bottom and not band-aid it you know, you know, that's really what I was bringing up about the ambivalence, because yes. a lot of people forget about what they were angry about people. And that's what binds their grief. So if they could release that anger, and I think that's what you're helping people do, then they move on. And I also feel that sometimes if they start moving on, they'll say to me, now I feel guilty. You know, my wife should have been here to enjoy the house. And, you know, I always say to her or him, whoever, um, when you walk through the door, buy the flowers for both of you. You know, that person was there with you all these years. There's a spirit. You have all kinds of memories. And instead of having those negative memories, worried or dwelling on the last four days when someone died, and that's what people do, try to make it the best you can for yourself. Exactly. You know, so in other words, 
helping people put things into perspective so they can see the whole life, not just a little bit of the life, okay? And you know what I say to patients is, oh, if a woman wants to go and date after the husband died of a prolonged illness, I say, he would be so happy to see you're happy, okay? Because he loved you. And that's all there is to it. And that's how I go about it. And I mean it. How The more you do therapy, you realize that that may work for some people. But that, remember, the bereaved are looking for a target. And one time I remember saying that and she, you know, I mean, stood up and hollered, you think my husband would like it? He'd like me never to talk to a man again. <laughs> so once in a hey, while. Yeah. Hey, hey. You know what happens is, you know, Teddy and I work differently. I see people once a month. They expect me to talk like this, okay? And then they go back and tell Teddy, you know what he said? You know, and then yeah. Teddy works it through. <laughs> I know this will take about three months. You know how Dr. Bregman is? Sometimes he doesn't have a lot of time. He just has to say <laughs> it how it is. If you don't really have people working with you in my profession that support you, it doesn't work because it's really was, it's been the two of us. And True. we've helped a lot of people, Teddy, really, a lot of years. Well, you know, I know that you both um, worked with the Children's Hospital. And so I just want to spend the last part of this talking about children, children and grief. For instance, when someone very close to a child dies, how would you deliver the bad news? And why is honesty so important? Um, Mm -hmm. With Hispanic families, especially when we were at the hospital, I I know Dr. Bregman came across this too. Uh, Once in a while, they would tell a child that that person is traveling in Europe. And then they would make the appointment to come in and bring the child for us to tell the child what's happened. Very hard for grandparents who are now raising the child. So we do have those scenarios. What I usually try to do when I, when I have to tell the child, and sometimes they'll bring them here and I have to tell the child, I'll sit the child with me and read a little book about animals, ducklings or something, and how the duckling has now gone to duckling heaven. And somebody has, you know, something's happened to your mommy and now she's in heaven. The least said about the details, sometimes the better, being very sure to explain to a child that God wears the watch and that nobody can get into heaven until God decides. Because there have been cases of children wanting to join a parent mm. and that and cases of a parent wanting to join the child. Yeah, I know it's a very difficult question. I just wanted to know because I know our natural inclination is to protect the child. Absolutely. But I, uh, but I would think that children are more resilient than, than us. They would, I don't want to say get over it, but uh, they, they tend to be a little more flexible about their thinking. I think you're much better off including them in everything. I always say a baby grieves. So take the baby, give the baby to someone who can manage the baby without being in such a mourning at the funeral. So start the children out with the funeral. Let them be a part of the service. Have those pictures in that child's album that they know they were a part of that parent's life and death. Um, but I, I think what's most important is it's age appropriate, not too much information. And do you sit with the child and let them cry and, and not tell them to be strong and, and let other people help you. Never try to do this by yourself. 
I think one thing that I just like to highlight is that if we think about the children developmentally, uh, uh, children like below the age of 11, they really can't abstract about death. So you have to talk to them differently than older children that can abstract. And I think that's what Teddy was alluding to is age appropriate. And I think that's really an important thing that we're talking about. And not only age appropriate, but that child appropriate. Some children are far advanced. Uh, children in communities where there's been a lot of losses and death. Oh, they, believe me, they can tell you everything. Ask a four-year-old. We had started talking about, you know, we're, the reason we're speaking about grief today, the week before Christmas, um, because when you celebrate, and I'll use that word celebrate, it's hard to do when there's been, say, a loss of a grandparent for a child. Teddy and, and Dr. B, what, what are some tips you would give to get through the holidays when you've lost somebody so near and dear to you? You know, for me, you know, tradition. Okay, keep the traditions. That's really important. And I guess the tradition really that I remember, I'm Jewish, is the thing that would happen every Passover. You know, Grandpa, he'd have like empty chairs for people who weren't around anymore. And I still, I could have been five, six years old. I remember the chairs every year, you know, the ones. And that's what we did. And we honored, you know, those people. Um, and uh, I mean, I think tradition, Teddy, I'm going with tradition. Uh, I'll go with, uh, during the sessions, we make the cards. The children Good. make their, their Christmas cards, their cards for remembering, their cards for New Year, their letters to their parent who's no longer here. I have several books and always during the holidays, I have the children read the books that can read. And we read to the children that can, and they're about loss. Well, before we leave, I just want to ask both of you, at what point uh, after a death and you're grieving, should you see a counselor or a psychologist? What are the warning signs? When should someone see a professional? Now we talk about understanding pathological grief. You know, it is a mild form of traumatic stress injury. And it can lead to other kinds of, uh, of psychological disorders, acute stress disorders, post-traumatic stress. So well, I think what we need to do is we need to think if it lasts more than a year then, and it's unremitting and there's functional problems, then we have to think, you know, people are going to work or, you know, things that people are socializing, whatever, then we need to think about these individuals getting some professional help. And Teddy, before we leave? A sign that certainly the grieving child, I, I pulled a list that I have, depression so severe that the child has lost interest in everything. Insomnia, poor appetite, inability to be alone, regression in behavior. Uh, Dr. Bregman, do you remember that bus load of kids that was kidnapped? And we had all the parents there and they were all disadvantaged children they were special needs children and they most of them regressed so we know that that's a, a, a serious possibility for children um, imitation of the deceased person repeatedly repeatedly wishing to join the deceased loss of interest in friends or play and refusal to attend school uh, what i find too is 
a lot of hypochondriasis. I'm sure you're dealing with that too, Dr. Bregman. And I am, I am terrible on forcing kids to go, even if they go for two hours. So they you know, don't get in a habit of not going to school. Yeah, so what Teddy is talking about is all the, 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 the issues that we see with disorganization. It has everything to do with sleeping, self-care skills, going to school, friends. Another. So whenever Teddy and I see any form of disorganization and regression, that's when we, the, the light goes off and we tell the parents, kind of see me. Sometimes the kids are suicidal and we have to put them in the hospital, protect themselves. Right. So this is like, you know, really. So Teddy and I work a lot with these kind of patients. And I think any parents that are listening, that are here, that some of their kids are going through this now, they need to get some professional help. Absolutely, Dr. Bregman. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. It's just really great advice that we all can take from. And I want to wish you happy holidays. And thanks for enjoying our podcast. And if you have any uh, suggestions, just go to our website at www.bregmanmd.com. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye now. From Bregman MD, you've been listening to the latest episode of The Breakdown with Dr. B. If you'd like more information or to speak to one of our top psychiatrists, just head to our website at BregmanMD.com to book a telepsychiatry visit from the comfort of your home. Hope you've enjoyed our latest podcast. Catch you next time.